Hi guys, before we start this week's episode of Fish, we have a few exciting announcements to make. Announcement number one is that we, no such thing as a fish, are going on tour. We are going to be going around Scotland. We've got four dates in Scotland at the end of August and start of September. We're going to Cardiff. We're also playing a gig in London. Now, the London gig is sold out in the room, but it's also streaming online. So, effectively, if you live anywhere in the world and you're listening to this, you can access a fish gig, especially if you live in Scotland. To a certain extent, if you live in Cardiff, and also if you live anywhere else, <laughs> you can get a ticket by going to no such thing as a fish.com slash live. All the information is up there. Yes, it is. Information item number two is, if anything, even more exciting than that, because Chief Gnome, our big boss, the man who created us in our current form, Mr. John Lloyd, all-round comedy legend, he also has a live show. That is going to the Edinburgh Festival, and it looks to be absolutely fantastic. It's called Do You Know Who I Am? If you don't know who John Lloyd is, then I don't know where you've been, uh, but he is the man behind all the great comedies, really, of the 80s and 90s, from Blackadder, Spitting image the news quiz not the nine o'clock news qi obviously episode Um, 17 of no such thing as a fish i think that's the one he's most proud of yes Um, so the show format is you go you ask him absolutely anything you want to ask him from the meaning of life to his fingernail cutting regimen Uh, so go to the edinburgh fringe website and check out how to get tickets for that it's on from the 5th to the 15th of august and the final bit of information is that we have a special guest today on no such thing as a fish the guest is a really exciting person. He is none other than Malcolm Gladwell. We're sure you've heard of Malcolm, and if not, maybe you've heard of the Time 100 Most Influential People list, which he's been on, which might well be a first for us. Uh, He's a brilliant writer and broadcaster. He's written fabulous books like The Tipping Point and Blink. He's got a new book out called The Bomber Mafia. And if you're a podcast listener, which you probably are listening to this, he also hosts the fabulous Revisionist History, which looks at overlooked and misunderstood things in that classic Gladwellian way. Uh, This was so much fun to record. We really hope you enjoy listening to it. Check out Malcolm's other things as above. Okay, on with the show. On with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and our very special guest, it's Malcolm Gladwell. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Malcolm. My favorite fact is that no one has any clear idea about what growing up with a smartphone does. So we, I got into this because I was doing an episode of my podcast, Originalist History, on what I called magic wand experiments, Okay, which is the experiment you would do if you could wave a magic wand, right? Because mm. suspend all laws of nature and yeah. mm-hmm. practical and ethical. So I called up this friend of mine and I said, who is a psychologist? And I said, what's your magic wand? And he said, oh, I want to divide, let's say, a thousand or two thousand children at birth. And one group, group one gets a Blackberry for the first 25 years of their life. Actually, he wanted to do it for the first 50 years. And group two gets an iPhone. And I said, well, why would you want to do that? And he said, well, because we just don't know what an iPhone 
which I found incredible. I found that just yeah. an, an ex- <laughs> it wasn't, astonishing it wasn't, fact. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was invested in Blackberries and has no, been no, very no. disappointed. No, so all so the Blackberry is just your phone and email. So we right. okay, it, yeah, it's yeah. clear yeah. that is doesn't affect your life in any dramatic way, right? And the iPhone is all the other stuff. Well, if you go through the literature, he's like, you'll discover that there is no consensus or even understanding of what all that other stuff mm. does to a child. So he gave me an example. Suppose we were all six years old, yeah. and I and we're sitting around a table, and I or eight years old, and I say something deeply offensive to Anna. Uh-huh. Anna, that happens a lot. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Anna has <laughs> many <laughs> options. She can, but she can express her displeasure directly to me in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Yell at me, cut me down sarcastically, punch me, ignore me. All These very are, enticing. You've met Anna before, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a sense. Um, <laughs> and all of these are are deeply effective ways of educating me about the consequences of my actions. Mm-hmm. Now, let's suppose me and Anna are on our iPhones, and I say the exact same thing, only it's a text. Yes. Mm. So the only way Anna can respond now is with another text. Mm -hmm. So she used to have enormous Mm. repertoire of potentially powerful and instructive responses to my provocation. Uh Now all she has is a text. So Mm. let's replace the enormous repertoire of powerfully instructive responses over the course of 25 years just with texts. Mm -hmm. The question is, what happens to Malcolm? Does Mm. Malcolm... Do I just become oblivious? Do I just keep being offensive? Do I never learn the consequences yeah. of my actions? Yes, right. If I right. accompany my text with some really angry emojis, or I think it might be. <laughs> <Yeah. her. laughs> so nothing, nothing is as instructive as the things I mentioned. Now, it may be that it doesn't matter. It also may be that it's hugely consequential. Yeah. We have no idea. Right. When will we find out? Is it going to be like a future presidential election where they're simply on their phone texting each other at <laughs> the podiums? Like, is, is it going to be decades before any kind of research can come out about well, this? Well, you have to study it. It feels so, like we must know a bit. Like, we've had 10 years. Surely there's someone I can text to look into this. <laughs> there's no control. I think that's the... There's no control. Yeah, and that's the there's problem. There's no control. Oh. Yeah. We do know. So we know some things that are worrisome. We know that levels of depression and mental illness are higher among... Mm adolescents now than they've ever been in measured history so is that something to do with technology maybe we don't know it certainly is a a kind of prod to Mm. think that this might be an important subject it's terrifying researching this fact it is it really is and you know (laughs) the the most telling thing i suppose so far is a response of silicon valley and basically all the people at the top of tech who now have turned against it and who discourage their children from having screen time you know like the schools don't have ipads and exactly silicon valley schools yeah they all so many of them regret doing what they did i think the guy who invented infinite scroll Aza raskin i think he says he regrets it more than anything else in his life he said it led to dire consequences right um what did he invent sorry the infinite scroll so before he got he got annoyed when he was about 22 at the fact on google you have to click next page when you get to the bottom and he said wouldn't it be great if you could just go on and on and now he says he understands the importance of that stop i've never considered that that was the pre i was thinking when you said he invented it i was thinking what came before infinite scroll and of course that was it pages pages yeah if you had to and i'm now wondering what my all-time record of how many tweets i have scrolled through at once is Mm -hmm. because i must there must have been a day where i did more than i scrolled through more than i'd ever done before but if i had to click at the end of 10 tweets and make a conscious choice yes you want to see another 10 of these on on his tombstone that he you know let's make scrolling finite again (laughs) is he he just sick of talking about it because i think a lot of these people regret it 
just because everyone keeps requesting interviews about it. I, I spoke to a I guy. Can't, but, there can't be that many interview requests for the guy who invented it. <laughs> I said, no offense to him. I mean, that's clearly a big invention. I, but you know, I bet it comes up the a lot more than yeah. <laughs> it's how he's in, it's how he's introduced. Does he? I wonder. Does he introduce himself like when he meets someone in a coffee shop? Yeah. As the, the, he, <laughs> he keeps talking until he stops. That's how he, yeah. Yeah. That's how he pays tribute to himself. Yeah, yeah. No, he is. He, he compares it to. He says there's a study where people are given bowls of soup and told to eat as much as they want, and then some of the bowls refill constantly from underneath, oh. and some of them uh. don't, and they have to put refills in. And the people who have the bowls that refill constantly, the magic bowls, eat seventy percent more soup, and they don't even know that they've done it. So it's this like really Whoa. subconscious addictive thing. Wow, um, I see. So he says it's like. It's that. like the fairy tale, you know, with the with the where you have an inf- what's that one where you have an infinite number of you reach in the bag and there's always co- gold coins. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that yeah. was presented to us as children as a as a kind of yeah. triumphant story. In fact, it's a tragic story. <laughs> mm. Yes, exactly. It is, yeah, it is, ruins. This you. is the fairy tale version <laughs> of Infinite Scroll. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Another of those guys, Justin Rosenstein, who helped invent the like button. And I, mm. I, I, I yeah. only helped invent. Don't, I don't think he's the <laughs> yeah. sole inventor, but you know he's part of the team in there. Yeah, uh, he has now turned off all notifications on his phone. Um, yeah, because when you install a new app, it often comes with notifications pre uh, included, doesn't it? And you have to go into the settings yeah. and then turn it off. And that. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Harford wrote a column recently. Um, he changed over his phone at some point, and all the notification settings were left on, and he got to live as if. He had had them on, you know, all the way from buying a phone in the first place. Mm-hmm. And just a constant stream of notifications, jingles, bells, whistles, updates. Oh, what if yeah. every single just one is every on? single app on his phone had the notifications now on. Yeah. And it yeah. was a constant nightmare. noise. Yeah. You know what's really it it, it, The other interesting thing you can do is um, turn off the color on your phone. Have you done this? No. no. Yeah, black and white. Yeah. Go black and white for what? a while. What? Yeah. It's a similar kind of <laughs> detox I've tried that. Yeah. God, that's great. <laughs> it is. It's very good. One thing I used to get, which I don't anymore, is that thing of phantom phone vibration. It's like phantom limb pain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's phantom have phone. You, have you never had this? Never heard this. This is the strangest. It's really. Wow, really? It. It's, you know, you get the buzz. You think, oh, great. Finally, someone wants, <laughs> someone has texted me or needs me in some way. And, and he's turned on every notification on his phone apps and still <laughs> nothing. He's <just> still dead. <laughs> yeah, no, it is a, it's a very strange sensation. Yeah. Well, if it's any consolation to anyone, um, there have obviously been kind of preliminary studies. It's hard to know that much at the moment. But this looked at data from 72,000 people between uh-huh. the ages of 10 and 80. Um, and it asked them how much time they spent on social media. So this was like specifically mm. about if social media makes you unhappy. And then it asked how satisfied they were with their lives, which I don't know how 10-year-olds answer that question, but they did. And um, it basically found that there was a Goldilocks effect. So most people, if they're using these things moderately, Mm. they're using social media moderately, they're pretty much okay. People who are using it way, way, way too much, they're at the far end, that end, they tend to be, you know, have much more anxiety, more unhappiness. But also Mm. people who are at the other end, same thing. You know, people aren't really using social media at all, like me, in fact, that's why I'm so chronically depressed all the time. Um, then they're also more likely to be unhappy, which makes sense if you're in Really? Well, if you're in your teenage years, then that's how all your friends are communicating. Oh, and yeah, then man. you're kind of excluded from it. There was a very good Washington Post piece about parents who restrict their kids from having phones. And it's a really weird piece because I think it's meant to be about how phones are bad for teenagers and it's great to restrict them. But all the kids interviewed 
um, say it's horrible. I don't. I can't communicate with my friends. I don't know what kind of plans they're making. There are a lot of conversations at school which spring from things that I don't know about because mm. I'm not on any of the chats. I think I read the same piece. I think they were a bit more equivocal. They said they could see a couple of advantages to it as well. At the, at the end then, of the piece, it rounded up um, with one of the girls saying, well, "Yeah, you, I guess it'll be okay. I won't regret it, it in the end." But you can't do it in isolation. Yeah. Right, so the the real question is. If your entire school didn't have a phone, mm. and yeah. your entire friend circle and your family, how would your life be different? Yeah. So mm. you can't, but if you're turning these children who don't use their phones into pariahs, of course yeah. they Yeah, exactly. I know. Well, we're stuck. We're trapped, aren't we? Until That's why my friend wanted to do this experiment. Yeah. He wanted yeah. to take entire towns and make them smartphone-free zones and see right. what happens. That's a fun idea. Yeah. Wow. If the, okay, if you're listening and you live in a, a small town or a village and you think you'd all be up for it, contact us. We'll pass <laughs> it on to Malcolm. We'll pass it on to his friend and we'll get it going. Okay, well, I did find one other thing which I, I quite like. This is um, about injuries that mobile phone users suffer. This is actual, you know, measurable physical harm suffered. Mm. Um Injuries uh, experienced by mobile phone users due to their phones has soared over the last 20 years, obviously, because 20 years ago, people didn't have nearly as many phones. Um, But (laughs) between 1998 and 2017, apparently 76,000 Americans were injured in some way by their phones. Um, 60% of younger people said they dropped their phone on their own face while lying down and looking at it. Oh, yeah, that'll happen. And the other thing is um, sometimes children will have a phone dropped on them by their parents. You could be injured by that. Oh, yeah. what, how heavy are these phones? Well, I guess the child yeah. could be a small, a small child, a, a big old yeah. 1980s style car phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. Car phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's peril there. Were there the injuries for in earlier generations from books being dropped on children's heads? Oh, I mean, this, I, don't, I, I need a control here. Printing presses. <laughs> you know, big fat Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, dropped yeah, yeah, on yeah. a three-year-old's head. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that in 1931, the USA launched an aircraft carrier which itself could fly. Great stuff. (laughs) Was it transported inside another bigger flying aircraft carrier, aircraft carrier? Oh, wow, like a Russian doll. Sadly, it was not. No, that was a more Soviet thing, the Matryoshka uh, aircraft carrier, which did, yeah, yeah. Um, So this was an airship which the US Navy launched in 1931. It was called the USS Akron. And it was an airship, so that's a ship with a rigid frame. So it blimps. Uh, take like the, the Hindenburg, if you were picturing it slightly, right? It's yeah, yeah. It's an airship. Yeah. 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 Much like- <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. when you went for the description, I was just no, cutting right. out the middleman there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I should also say where I got the fact. I've, I've been listening to uh, a podcast called Black Box Down, which is mm. great. It's all about aviation uh, mishaps and catastrophes and everything in between. Uh, and so the the Akron was this airship, uh, and it was, um, it, it was enormous, and it launched in 1931, crashed in 1933 uh, and the main selling feature of it the the thing the navy were interested in was that it was designed to be able to carry small fighter planes mm. Uh, mm. there were these planes called sparrow hawks which were i think small i think they were biplanes but anyway it could fit in at least three of them and it was going to be redesigned so it could fit in five and the idea was that the uss akron would fly overhead lower a little um hook from which the fighter plane is dangling just retract the hook plane flies off 
and you know launches three of these planes and then they fly back snag onto the hook once again and are retracted into the belly of the airship do you think you have to be really good at those fairground games where you (laughs) hook a duck onto onto a stick yeah yeah it was quite a precise maneuver wait did it work um so it worked that it could deploy these planes i think the hook facility did work but the the I mean, there's a reason we're not using all these now, basically, which Mm. is that the airships obviously went very far out of fashion. This lasted two years before it crashed, and it killed over 70 people, including one of the main advocates for... Uh, airship development and expansion so but yeah. it was the it was airship doomed. bit that didn't work we all know you know the airships had a bit of a rough ride but yeah. the actual aircraft carrier, carrier element was quite good yeah that's cool. i mean that's it worked i'm st- struck by the fact that the the chief proponent for airships dies in the destruction of the airship as yeah. a kind of model for dealing with bad inventors <laughs> it's, the, it's the captain goes down with the ship model of yes. us. Yeah, yeah, it the, is. The, yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, yeah. But if we I, still make ships after he dies. <laughs> you, so this is a. So there's, a there's a there's a famous Dick Gregory joke. Oh yeah. I'm now obsessed with Dick Gregory. Are you? I am. I, I, it's I just, amazing. He's such an extraordinary character. He talks about when he was in the army, he lost his rifle and they charged him eighty five dollars. He said, I had no idea they would have going to charge me. Now I know why the captain goes down with the ship. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, it's like the Segway guy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that's the modern day, you know, the guy who invented the Segway went over a cliff oh, on his Segway. Yeah. Didn't he? Sorry, I thought, well, I th- was it the inventor or the head of one of the big Segway companies? The head of I, think, one of the I don't think it was the actual inventor. Oh, was yeah. it not? Oh, yeah, I always thought it was. God, the I, mis- it was I was mishearing the word Segway. I really thought you were going to say that we had a, you know, a, an inventor of the Segway. The conversational, the conversational Segway. Segway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare, actually. <laughs> who, who, who died halfway through trying to change trying the topic. To yeah. <laughs> he was impaled on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so just one other thing about the uh, Acron. One mm. of the other features it had, and it wasn't unique to it. This was actually a thing that had been invented a couple of decades before on other airships. It had a spy basket. I don't know if you guys read about this, but yeah. it's it's an observation basket that hangs beneath the body of the airship. Mm. And the principle was, as you're flying your airship, you want to be uh, observing the ground, but discreetly. Airships are obviously huge. So the idea was you'd hide the airship in a cloud, lower the spy basket on a on a cable... Uh, for several hundred meters in some cases and there is someone sitting in the spy basket who watches the ground can radio back up tell the tell the airship itself where to go or you know whether they're nearing the target or whatever fun and the Akron had one of these and um it was a disaster it was tested once oh. with sandbags in it instead of a person but oh, yeah. the, you know well no wonder it was a disaster what can sandbags <laughs> tell you <laughs> <laughs> It was so unstable, this um, little observation basket, that it started swaying in the wind on this great long cable. Right. It swayed so much that it swayed up to the equator level of the entire airship. Oh, my God. So, you know, oh, thank oh, God oh, no. no one was yeah. actually yeah. in it. Come <laughs> on, that would be fun. That would be like that ride at theme parks. Yeah, on the boat. yeah, yeah. Pirate ship. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It would have really, really... Um, I'm, I'm more fascinated time. that they were hiding in clouds. Because what, what is the speed of a cloud... Like you'd have to maintain the speed, right? So you yeah, don't true. pop out on the other side. And also yeah. go with the cloud. As in you have to, yeah, the cloud might to... not be flying towards your bombing target. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, we had to bomb somewhere different today. Yeah. Clouds again, you know. <laughs> it only works in over cloudy areas too, right? So you're limited yes, true. On a clear to day. military yeah. operations yeah. in northern Europe, in you know parts of the you know. Yeah. Like yeah. Here's the thing, though. Manchester. Why- <laughs> <laughs> you really can't do the south of England that much. Why not just disguise the blimp as a cloud? 
Why not oh, just much put better idea. Fluff, yeah. what a cotton cotton wool. Yeah, cotton wool. <laughs> Candy floss. And then that's, there's your fairground ride. Great idea. It's all, this brings up, speaking of impaling myself on a tangent, <laughs> why do the internet people call the place where they store all your most valuable knowledge and data the cloud? Mm. Yeah. Of all of the metaphors, mm-hmm. this is the worst. Oh, you're right. Yes. A cloud is a flighty thing. Planes fly through them all the time. Clouds are routinely violated by any yeah, other yeah. thing in the air. They're, to- they're totally ephemeral. They are totally <laughs> ephemeral. That's the thing. That we're going to call it a cloud. They're all around. A, they're all around the table. They're saying, "What's the metaphor we want for the safe place the, we put your data?" The, the, the one. That, the, somebody says a bank. No. <laughs> someone, someone says, "Who now regrets that? Yeah. Who is now among the group? Who's like, yeah. oh, God, I called it the cloud. He's I'll, giving interviews. Yeah. Should have called it the paper bag." Like I wanted to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not the vault. Not the, I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. You're so right. They're flimsy. They've got negative connotations. <laughs> They're very temporary. No one likes them. No, <laughs> no, one, <laughs> no one said. Yeah, thank God it's a cloudy day. Um, I was looking a bit at military planes generally, yeah. um, and sort of air squadrons. And mm. I don't think we've talked about the Soviet night witches Ooh. ever on this show. Okay, but no, I don't think so. Do you guys know about these? They were a all female air squadron in World War Two, mm. and they um, I think it was one woman oh, who right. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know sort of pitched to the Soviet government and said look let us let us fly some planes they flew these incredibly light planes so they were made to fly very very low mm. so it's quite dangerous they were made of just plywood and canvas they, they had to be so light wow. so they um, couldn't have any armor they couldn't have any parachutes anything like that that these women literally just took a map and a compass up in these planes and the key and the reason they had to be so light was because they could stall, I think, quite a long way from their target and sort of drift close to the target, which meant that they were very quiet. Wow. Yeah. But what are they... Oh. What are, what, sorry, what are, they, are they fighter planes? Are they bomber planes? Bomber they, planes, yeah. Couldn't be a bomber plane if they're incredibly light. Yeah, I mean, mm. that's, uh, not letting right. them have a parachute, but they're also... They, you're right, they, <laughs> yeah. they did carry bombs, so there was some weight. The parachute, I'm afraid, is just going <laughs> to tip light, over the edge. Very light bombs. <laughs> could, you have, could you have one bomb fewer and give me a parachute? Would that be... Bombs made of feathers <laughs> and completely harmless bombs, actually. I know they they dropped 23,000 tons of bombs in the war. But the weird thing is, their name, the Night Witches, yeah. as far as I can tell, and all the sources, even back to the time, um, mm. say this, that, that they, were, they were named the Night Witches by the Germans, uh, the Nachter Hexen. And Probably. apparently they named them that because of the sound they made. Because they were so quiet, they just sounded whooshing like a broomstick. Oh, so apparently yeah. we are to believe that they weren't actually called the Night Witches because of their gender. That's complete coincidence. Isn't that oh, weird? Come on, that's like when Jay Z said in '99, "Problems that a bitch ain't one" was about his dog. Like, it's it's, <laughs> no. it's not not familiar Did with he that. Claim that? <laughs> well, you know, I got '99 problems. No, I, I know the line, yeah. but I just don't. I he haven't came heard out that. and said, "No, it's not about women. It's about my dog." Sure, Jay Z. Sure, I guess the difference between Jay Z and uh, the Nazis here is that it does make sense because the Nazis couldn't see into the plane. So how would they have known that there were women flying them? Oh, the Nazis call them. Witches. Yeah, they named them and they had to wear they also must have been so uncomfortable they had to wear men's clothes because they didn't have any um, sort of pilot clothes for women apparently they tore up their bedding and stuffed it into the shoes they wore so they would fit what? oh wow yeah oh, wow. <laughs> sounds like I mean it's hard enough Wait. driving a car in Wellington boots but well, firstly, okay, we have to ask about that because <laughs> you, know, you know if you're trying to drive a sensitive instrument in not very comfortable shoes, 
I'm surprised I managed to get anything done. Yeah, true. Anna, when did you last drive your Wait. car in Wellies? Because I feel like... <laughs> I, Wait, I love it. The one detail in this story that you're drawn to is the fact that they didn't have comfortable shoes. I would imagine <laughs> in, the, in the list of problems these women have, flying over enemy territory, <laughs> low ground, in flimsy canvas airplanes, <laughs> the, 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 the size of their... <laughs> Chance of being killed gruesomely, first problem. Big shoe, second problem. I think I don't actually yeah. do understand that because you know when you're meant to have a bigger problem, but you can only focus on the fact you've got a stone in your shoe or mm-hmm. something, and ah, that yeah, then yeah. dominates your attention. <laughs> I'm very familiar with the sense of having much bigger problems, yeah. but actually only able to focus on the fact that this one little thing is wrong <laughs> yeah. as a distraction method. When, yeah. when I was doing uh, the Bar Mafia, the book mm-hmm. that I'm, um, yeah. one of the things that I was struck by all over again is. What these pilots went through in the Second World War is just, com- in retrospect, completely unbelievable. Mm. What we asked them to do, like, so what do you mean the danger or the, the danger? So you, but don't just say that. The shoes they a, had to wear. <laughs> you take a twenty-year-old kid, you put him through X number of months of training. You fly him over to if he's an American, fly him over to Europe, and he goes on these missions where statistically the chance of you surviving your term. Your tour is zero. Mm-hmm. You know they know the death rates, right? They're, yeah. And you're up at twenty thousand feet where it's freezing cold, mm-hmm. and these planes are not pressurized or heated. Or you're, you know, the 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 bombardier is sitting in this little thing that's exposed to. Yeah. And German fighters are coming at. I mean, it's just like that. They all didn't have PTSD. It's astonishing to me. I mean, it, yeah. And then yeah. you you do you do your you do a twelve hour whatever mission over Germany, you fly back to some freezing cold, you know, unheated air base in somewhere in the south of England. Mm-hmm. You get four hours of sleep and then you do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And you keep doing it for like yeah. we I mean it's just like it seemed insane to me that this Yeah. Yeah. This is what we were asked these, I mean maybe the, the, maybe only a twenty year old would put up with that kind of um yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the reason. But planes, uh, the importance that planes had, particularly in World War Two, is pretty staggering. So at one point during 1939 to 1945, yeah. um, Allied factories were building 633,000 aircraft in that time. So they were pumping them out at 288 aircraft what? per day. And this was a time where they were just trying to work out how do we how do we come up with a new kind of plane that's going to just be the game changer in this war. So in this period as well, 250 new designs were all tested, built God. and flown just mm. to see whether or not they could get one over on the enemy. And it was one plane in particular, which was the P-51 Mustang, which was the absolute yeah, game changer during yeah. war. Uh, when that was designed and started flying, the Americans started flying that in over Germany. That was the moment where basically the Germans realized they were going to lose the war. Goering said himself, he said, when I saw the Mustangs over Berlin, I knew the jig was up. He Which never, is, yeah, Goering he said did not say the said, phrase, the jig, jig was up. Yeah, he he did. didn't. He wouldn't have known the phrase, the jig is up. <laughs> yeah. He did. He, he said, said uh-oh, spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> He really did. <laughs> you, have go. you have me going right until he said that. He had a quirky turn of phrase. Clearly. <laughs> um, um, speaking of Goering, in World War II, he's a, he's once a again, mate. impaling ourselves on attention. <laughs> yeah. You had a quid for every time you'd said that, Anna. He's the only person I know about. Um, one of the RAF raids in World War II was specifically for the intention of interrupting one of his speeches. So it wasn't necessary no. to do any bombing or anything. This is in 1943, and it was a huge speech in Berlin to commemorate 10 years of Hitler being in power. And Goering was going to make this big keynote speech. And the plan was to fly a bunch of mosquitoes through the clouds above, 
really, really near to their microphones yep. so that basically while the speech was being broadcast, what? it would pick up the sound of the RAF sort of attacking oh, the city. Oh, wow. oh, That's kind of genius. Oh, it's cool. clever, isn't it? And That's it works. So clever. Mosquitoes, unbelievable planes. Mm-hmm. We should say they were made of plywood and they were made largely by carpenters in England yeah yeah They're that's actually really... what pissed him off so much when this happened and they had to cut off his speech because yeah. uh, they thought this sounds really bad now he's shouting yeah. over invasion you know he said something like I can't believe these bloody Brits have got seven carpenters and they've pieced these planes together out of some trees and we can't do anything like it yeah. with our um, but did, yeah, did he, did he say anything about the jig and where he thought it might be? <laughs> Once again, the jig is up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a Scooby Doo. Yeah. Stop trying to make the jig work. <laughs> um, I, I read this other thing as well, just going back to psychology of of the pilots that were mm. being used. There was a series of spy planes. This is in the '60s. So this is a bit later. Um, the Blackbird, which we've spoken about before on the show, and the A12. These were all like high high flying spy planes that they really really didn't tell many people about and there's a rumor that went around which quite a few historians have substantiated and said was true is that during the interview process they would only hire pilots who were married so that they had a reason to come back because they had they'd had a bunch of defectors at this point as this is a very positive the, attitude yeah, towards marriage say, that they've yeah, got. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. You, you could have easily spun it the other way. I was, yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that there is a marathon in New York that takes so long to complete, runners can go through up to 20 pairs of shoes while they're trying to run it. (laughs) And they're all too big for them, aren't they? (laughs) They are. Stuffed with bedding. All they can think about, yeah. (laughs) This is an amazing thing. Um, And you're, Malcolm, you're a New Yorker, so I wonder if you had ever heard heard I of have, this i have yeah. and you're a runner and a runner you? and a runner so yes. the self-transcendence 3100 mile race it's a it's a race that goes around a single block in new york mm-hmm. so in total if you ran around this block distance it's 0.54 miles right okay but to complete this marathon you need to run around this block 5649 times mm-hmm. You've got 52 days in which to complete it, and runners will start at 6 a.m., and they'll run all the way through to midnight. They'll do an average of 59 kilometers, 59 and a half kilometers per day. And if you manage to complete what is the longest certified marathon in the world, you get an amazing prize, which is usually either a DVD or a T-shirt. Uh, sometimes a small trophy. What DVD? Depends on the movie. Um, yeah, this is incredible. Uh, Malcolm, have you ever been tempted to do that? Yeah. Is that yeah. your question? Well, you, well, I was t- like, have you been to the route? Because it's just one block in it's New York City. It's in so Queens, it's like... I think. It is in Queens, yes, yeah. that's okay. right. A uh, lot of strange things happen in Queens. Um, <laughs> that chief among them. It's lunacy, let's be clear. Even yeah. the normal marathon is lunacy. Right. Have you I've won- never done a marathon. Have you, have you done a marathon? I would never. Before? It's nuts. I mean, yeah. it, there's no part of it. Some <laughs> random Greek, you know, thousands of years ago, completes this distance, <laughs> dies, dies at the end. <laughs> and then that, so we've seized on this as the kind of ultimate running experience. Yeah. yeah. It's just everything about marathoning strikes me. I mean, I'm a very, very serious runner, and I just find it incomprehensible that wow. anyone other than a kind of elite runner would ever even attempt it. So when you say yeah. you're a serious runner, do you, you do short distance sprinting runs? Yeah, I run runs. normal. I run, you know, if I race, I run 5Ks or 10Ks or miles. Yeah. But the idea of going out there for hours on end 
inevitably injuring myself while preparing yeah. for it yeah. and sacrificing yeah. huge parts of my life so I can go for yeah. 20 mile runs on the weekend you know it's just like yeah. it's very interesting because I've I, I, I don't really run very much but I do think of running as a progression towards the marathon which I have stopped at a very early point in as in I don't I, I'm not making any more progress towards a marathon mm -hmm. in the distances but I run. But you think of the marathon as the end goal? Sort of, of yeah. As yeah, in, oh, you do a 5K and then you do a 10K run and then eventually you'll do a marathon. Yeah. And, but, or you run 3,000 miles around a single block. <laughs> <Yeah>. York, <laughs> which is, it is insane. It's not like they shut it. Because I've been in New York when there's a marathon on and obviously, like anywhere else, they shut the city roads down. They have mm. all sorts of people cheering on the sides. These mm. people just have to do it they every day around it. New is York. Is someone checking them? Um, I, I, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think that, but it's a very low key. There's basically a trestle table where the, the you know the race headquarters is. Yeah, and I think it's just a couple of people. I, th I don't know if they check the actual laps or if they're but it lasts, tagged. Or how long does it last? Fifty two days. So yeah, yeah, a couple of months. So someone has to sit there <laughs> from six from first thing in the morning midnight. to midnight. Yeah. yeah. They're the real hero of the story. Yeah. They're the real like, hero of the story. They feel like two How many pairs of trousers did they go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet they've watched that DVD a bunch <laughs> in that is, time, right? I find that person more interested than the person doing the running. Yeah. 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 yeah who yeah. is this person who can be convinced to take that job? This is preposterous. You're right. Interview you're that guy. Right. You're so right. They, do they ask them whether they're happily married? This is <laughs> yeah. an extension of the same. Only, only married men can take this job. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get away from the family for 52 days? It is. I think you need to sort of you need an ultra running cv even to enter the race really yes. they don't just yes. take any schlub who says who turns up and says oh, I, I reckon i could do it because i can easily see if i was ever a good enough runner to even consider entering this i can see it getting a bit later you know like you miss a day you think oh i'll catch up later it's fine i've yeah. got i've got 50 days to do it how hard can it be to just you know yeah yeah, yeah. my my running <laughs> friends and i have a something we call the kipchoge number mm -hmm. kipchoge being the world's greatest oh, yeah. marathon. Mm -hmm. Elliot, the kipchoge yeah. number is how long you could run with Kipchoge if Kipchoge was running at world record pace. Oh cool. Right. So everyone has everyone in the world has a Kipchoge number. Your Kipchoge number right. may be two feet. <laughs> right? It's it's always the rule about Kipchoge numbers is they are shorter than you think. How long do you know right. what your Kipchoge number is? My Kipchoge number is pro if I'm very fit is probably twelve hundred meters. That's, that's, that's decent. Mm. I wish I had written this down related to this. Yeah. So there's the 5K park run, which I think is 5K, yeah. which is, is a yeah, yeah. huge yeah. thing here. Um, many hundreds of thousands of people have done it now. And I think they looked at how many people over 5K in the park run at their pace would have beaten Kipchoge running his marathon pace. So he's running that speed for 26 miles, basically. Yeah, exactly. and everyone, Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think it's like fewer than 100 people <gasps> are wow. over that amount, uh, over that distance. And they're serious. You'd be very good to even keep up with Kipchoge. He's, he's good. He's, he's good. good. He's better than most of us. <laughs> but it's this thing, it's not, because I was watching the marathon yesterday at the <clears> World <throat> Championships. You see these guys on the television and because they're all running at the same pace, there's an illusion that they're not running that fast. Mm, yeah. Right, yeah. But you have to understand, like, if you actually see them in person, it is astonishing. So, he, yeah. you know, they're running at 445-mile pace for 26 consecutive miles. Wow. Yeah. So all this is to say, I don't lack respect for the, <laughs> for the achievement. <laughs> yeah. I just think trying to do it is... For, if you're not yeah. a serious professional, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do always find it amazing how many people they get to do the marathon each year. 
Right. Yeah. So many thousands of people who are up for this. Mm. I know. Very difficult. Yeah. Very degree of masochism, yeah. And probably not that good for you. It's weird. Again, it's like, um, you know, I was talking earlier about the Goldilocks, like for mm. social media, yeah. you know, moderate use is good. Similarly, studies seem to show that moderate exercise, very good for you, obviously. Extreme exercise, like ultramarathon running, doesn't seem to be that good for you. It doesn't really confirm any more health benefits right. if you're running extremely mm. long distances. And people do have these unbelievable hallucinations. Um, they often collapse. I think there was... Standard marathons you're talking about, or? Um, usually more like ultra marathons. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So there was Jasmine Paris. Do you remember she is a champion oh. fell runner, um, and she anyway she won the 2019 Montaigne Spy Race, which is a big um, up and down kind of mountains ultra marathon, and she saw lots of hallucinations and still but still managed to win it and was expressing breast milk along the way. I think really, this is what, oh. it's 268 miles, and she had a newborn baby. Where was the baby? As in. Um, the baby was being run alongside her by <laughs> her partner, who actually car. deserves more credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's amazing. We should say about so this is this race is called the what is it called the self transcendence self transcendence. There's your tip off right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't transcend yourself. Don't don't do it. Um, so we should say the guy who oh yes it's founded in his name yeah Sri Chimnoy yeah yeah so he was a he's a guru guru he's a guru yeah there are Sri Chimnoy races around the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was extraordinary. Yeah. As in, you read a bit about his life story. So he expressed self-transcendence through fitness. And as a result, did all these, you know, amazing feats. He lifted extraordinary weights and... Planes. Um, he lifted planes, supposedly. I know. I'm sl- I, yeah, I can see... He was the him. original aircraft carrier. He was. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really... Like, the funniest thing he did was called Lifting Up the World with a Oneness Heart. Okay, that's what it was called. He went around the world bench-pressing significant people yeah. who'd contributed <laughs> to human history. So um, he lifted 8,000 people around the world. He lifted Nelson Mandela. Wow. Desmond Tutu. Billie Jean King. And then, I mean, it, go- it goes a bit... Like, the list... Of- Susan Sarandon. Oh, come on. That's a good... Yeah, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Yoko uh, Ono. R- Ravi Shankar. Several heads of state. Richard Gere. Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Jackson. He's he's a wrestler, former wrestler. Yeah. He was, he's a biggie. Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum got a lift. Goldblum wow. got a lift. As wow. in, it just feels what like a... What a weird thing to do. What a very Why? strange club of people to get together. But, but one, one time he lifted <laughs> a Republican and a Democrat at the same time. No, yeah, really. Yeah, just that, to express peace. That yeah. is actually... Yeah. That's cross-party, cross-aisle <laughs> Wait, where politics. Where was he from? Uh, he was from uh, India, I want to say. I think he was. Yeah. He worked for the Indian consulate, certainly, oh, when he was... And that's why he moved to America. So he moved yeah. there in 1964. And yeah, he was just an extraordinary, as you say, kind of fitness character um, with a huge fan base. Um, Can I just quickly mention, I saw a photo of you, a a sort of younger college version of you doing a run on uh, your blog. And you were doing an attempt at the four minute mile, basically, or at least you were running a mile and... And you got a number that was close to it. <laughs> I was, it was high school, early days of high school, and it was, um, I was running the 1,500 meters, yes. But I, I was nowhere close to a four-minute mile, which is a grown-up activity. I, was, <laughs> I think I ran a 4-0-something 1,500 meters. Oh, really? Diff- okay. Very different. Um, but that's yeah, still, that, you got 4-0-something. 405. In the 1500 meters? Yeah, I was 14. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty quick. I peaked as a runner at 14. There, you know, <laughs> which wild. amazes me to this day when I think of the idea that there was something I could do at 14, which I can't do, 
which I could do better than at any other point in my life. It's yeah. Just, yeah. It's, it's kind yeah. of strange so to think yeah. about If that. only someone had told you then, so you could really appreciate <laughs> right. it. Or, or stop. <laughs> or stop. <laughs> or give up, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we've never mentioned Cliff Young. Cliff um, Young. You must know Cliff. Australian no. hero, Cliff Young. Never heard of him. So he ran the Sydney to Melbourne ultramarathon uh, in its inaugural year, which was 1983. Sydney to Melbourne. Yep, it's 875 kilometres. Wow. And we, we, it ran. We, we travelled that journey and we, we flew. So We did. Know. Well, we had to get from one tour date to the other quite quickly, so it wouldn't have been That's practical yes. actually for us to run it. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have. Um, but anyway, so 1983, it's inaugurated. The uh-huh. world's top runners go and say they'll try doing this run. They've all got the training plan. They've tried running those distances before. And basically, all the pros have established that you run 18 hours a day and you sleep for six hours a day. And you'll do it in, I think, you know, five, six, seven days, okay. depending on how fast you go. And so they all turn up. And this guy turns up who's a 61-year-old farmer called Cliff Young. And he's wearing uh, his Wellington boots. And he's wearing, like, farming overalls. And just before he starts, he puts on the first ever pair of running shoes he's ever owned. Um, And he took out his teeth because (laughs) they rattled when he ran. (laughs) This is so Australian right now. (laughs) (laughs) And he put on his hat with a cork hanging down from it. And he started. um, No, he started shuffling along incredibly slowly. And everyone like left him in their dust completely. Super slowly. But he didn't sleep. And he had a different strategy. He was a sheep farmer and he had 2,000 acres of land yeah. and he used to have to run across this land for days on end sometimes, wow. herding the sheep, chasing the sheep. And he thought, well, I don't need to sleep. When I run that three, four days, I don't sleep. Mm. I'm just going to not sleep. And eventually, day two, day three, started over- overtaking, are you sure? overtaking them all. Are you sure you're not just telling us the hair and the this tortoise is, story? This is all <laughs> reading a bit Aesop. This is all, yeah. this whole... Cliff, young, the tortoise, the pet tortoise. <laughs> I put the wrong thing down. <laughs> um, no, it was incredible. We does he win? He wins the race. He, he beats the nearest competitor by 10 hours. Wow. Um, he's way, way, way ahead. Uh, 61 years old. Um, is... And now everyone does it his way by sort of sleeping maybe one hour a night oh. and shuffling. So okay. he's, he's like, you know what he's energy. like? He's like, um, do you remember, uh, do you remember uh, David Burkhoff? No. David Burkhoff is the Cliff Young of the backstroke. Oh, oh really? Yeah. So you're in the backstroke, you jump mm-hmm. off, you dive into the water and then you surface and you yeah. go vuh, 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 right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Burkhoff realizes oh actually it's faster to swim underwater than on top mm-hmm. oh. so he, Burkhoff starts dives in and yeah. he doesn't surface until <laughs> two thirds of the way <laughs> yeah right and he he breaks the world record and they eventually ban it oh my god it does feel but like cheating he's Cliff Young though he realizes that there's a flaw yeah in the way people are yeah 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 um, <laughs> hang on can I just check about David Burkhoff so this, yeah. you said that was backstroke right backstroke so are you allowed to do another stroke underwater no I, 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 I could be wrong here I think you do a dolphin kick you do the dolphin kick yeah arms and out then, dolphin but kick but you're allowed to be on your front aren't you but you're allowed to be on your front you're not doing backstroke because your backstroke, no, no, backstroke, you're backstroke you, you start in the water and you, you go back go right. back yeah oh, so okay, he, he okay. just stays underwater doing a dolphin but kick upside down but sorry upside down. I, got, yeah, I got it I and got then it just, and surfaces later it's called the Burkhoff blast off that's amazing is that quicker I feel like I'd be really slow at that why you is it quicker I've never understood why it's quicker I don't know anything about swimming because um, you can't do it with your arms and, can you the up and down maneuvering must take a lot of the speed out of your forwards yeah. yeah but if doing the dolphin kick is faster than doing the backstroke what's the point of the backstroke 
Yeah, like, yeah. Well, backstroke kick. So yeah, we do yeah. the backstroke to move more slowly through the water. Is that what we do? Well, yeah, it's, it's like butterfly. What's the point of that? <laughs> yeah, so he basically so. made the sport unwatchable because you're just watching. He did. Although it's very swimming, thrilling to see where, when he surfaces. Oh, so you're, yeah, you're yeah. waiting. It, it turns it into a suspense film. Yeah. Right. So you watch it and there, you can't see anything. It's just it's just like the, the surface of the water is unruffled. And we just see these strange things going on. And all of a sudden, burka. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> as a child i was obsessed with wow. burkhoff he is this really brilliant guy but I, I just keep thinking he's gonna do it again you know what i mean like he's just maybe he's an anesthesiologist and he's gonna realize wait a minute right we don't have to keep them under for you know five minutes keep them under for two hours he he'll be very burkhoffian he, 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 he doesn't give you your prescription as a doctor <laughs> until you're in the car park going back to your car <laughs> that he says take two of these days don't but you th- want to be inside Burkhoff's brain? Yeah, <laughs> Burkhoff's brain. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's so funny. Here's what I love about Burkhoff and Cliff Young. It is that thousands of people do this thing and it never occurs to them to tinker with yeah. that particular... Yeah. So on the ultramarathon, they're doing everything in their power to compete and train and blah, blah, blah. it never occurs to them oh what if I just slept less? I know it's amazing right? isn't it they're all like in lockstep do they wake each other up before Cliff Young came along it's like ready to go now like yeah, yeah. Get yeah. That in a race in a race yeah it's just it seems crazy yeah. I know it makes you think how many things are we taking for granted where we could be smashing it in life because there's an obvious loophole god what you a know. point what a terrifying point I could be way better at podcasting if I never slept for oh, instance wow. for instance yeah, yeah. maybe or worse. <laughs> well, <laughs> tune in next week and find out how Anna's <laughs> experiment went. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that given the choice, most people would prefer to win $10 million rather than $100 billion. Mm. Right? And so let's see here, <laughs> guys. I'm going to ask you all. Yeah. So this was a, um, a University of Bath research and it's published in Nature and it asked 8,000 people across 33 countries. So it's quite comprehensive. Yeah. And basically it said, imagine your ideal life and then consider how much money you want to lead that ideal life. And then you've got a lottery that you can enter. And, uh, and you're you going to win it. You've got a bunch of lotteries mm. and you're probably going to win it. And you've either got a lottery where the jackpot is $10,000. So it's all American dollars, but they adjusted it for currencies in the countries. Mm-hmm. $10,000 and then it increased by multiples of 10. Okay. So you can win 10,000, 100,000, million, 10 million. And the highest was 100 billion. What would you guys go for? 100 billion. Okay. You're just straight up 100 bill. Yeah. Malcolm? I totally agree. I 10 million. You're going to go 10 million. Really? There you go. Thanks. The last thing you want to do is win $100 billion. Really? That is like a nightmare scenario. Why? <laughs> do, you, do you understand what would happen? I, listen, if I had that money, I'd sue you if you ever spoke to me like that in that tone, okay? So. Every single part of your life gets more complicated by a thousand percent. Yeah. Right? I look at Elon Musk. He's having a great time accusing people of things online. He can't walk down the street. That's true. But you can't do that if you're but he's digging, famous regardless. He's, he's digging right? his own tunnel so he won't need to go down <laughs> the street he'll be parachuted through a vacuum tube along under the street we can say with 100 percent certainty that you would be profoundly unhappy okay for a variety of reasons one of the main ones is that the proliferation of decisions that you would have to make would overwhelm you mm-hmm. so with money this is the this is the cost of wealth right the hidden cost of wealth is that for most people 
the decision about whether to do an activity is whether I can, would mm-hmm. I can afford it. When you have money, all of a sudden, cans turn into wants, right? Mm. Do I want to do that? Do I want to do that is a much more complicated decision. Yeah, humans hate choice. It's too much yeah. endless choice. So you have you now have every decision in your life that used to be a can has now turned into a want, mm-hmm. right? So you are paralyzed. Right now, you're going to have lunch after this place, right? Yeah. You are not going to go and have lunch at Claridge's, are you? No. No. <laughs> Why? Well, for a number of reasons. But one is you don't want to trek all the way over there. Two, you, there's no point to spending 80 pounds on lunch and three why do you want to hang out with those people right those are your reasons uh-huh. okay i have given I you a hundred billion dollars <laughs> i've removed oh, you have a driver now yeah no not only can you go to Claridge's, you can go to the airport and get in your plane and fly to you can have lunch in paris if you yeah. want do you want to have lunch in paris yeah do you want to, <laughs> on and on and on. it's spiraled out of control and, every, and then you gotta like great <laughs> you're gonna malcolm you're really gonna struggle to get dan to give an inch oh wait so are you trying to put me off it <laughs> It's a nightmare. I've picked the most kind of mm. anodyne choice that yeah. you would have today, where to have lunch. And now I've given you an infinite set of, of options just because you have 100 billion. Yeah. So you can't even, lunch has now become a <laughs> cognitive burden of the size. Now, but we even talked, there's a million other things that are going to happen today. Like we even talked about every single one of them has now been multiplied yeah. times a thousand. But I just want to use it specifically for eBay yeah. auctions where I can just make um, sure I set the limit at 100 billion and never lose <laughs> my auction. The, the, size of the, the size of the Dick Gregory memorabilia <laughs> market <laughs> is going to go wildly out of proportion. Uh, if you collect, say, do you like to collect things? Yes, I do. Oh, okay, God. Okay. I have now removed... 100% of the joy of collecting things. Yeah. There's no longer any constraint. That's a really good point. You no longer have to make any decision. You can just buy everything. Yeah. Oh yes. my God, you wouldn't treasure yeah. any of all that crap you have that no sane person would treasure anyway. <laughs> you wouldn't, because you could buy infinite quantities of it. It's, no, I, no, 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 but it's, it is really interesting. What it's would like, you do, Andy, sorry, since we got the others? Um, can I split the difference and go 100 million? That's very unusual. So interestingly, oh, really? in this study, it really peaks at 10 million. So uh, most people ask for 10 million or below. There are some countries mm. like uh, I think Russia and India where the majority choose $1 million or less. Mm. Um, but I was looking at the graph and it peaks at 10 million. And then, it, and then there are quite a lot of people who still choose 100 billion, although not majority. So it ranges between mm. 8% of people in China to 39% of people in Indonesia choose 100 billion. But between 10 million and 100 billion, it's hardly anyone, wow. I guess, because 10 million seems to me, like like Malcolm's saying, like a kind of reasonable amount where you could mm. live a really nice have life. An incredible house and, and travel and see the world. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas, and actually, 100 million is a life deforming, like a substantially deforming you, you amount of money. You lose all of your friends at 100 billion, too. Yeah, you know yeah. Every once. relationship you have. <laughs> this is once again. Is, there, is this appeals? Dan, Dan is, is unfazed. I'm trying to get out of this, this hellhole. A, a feature, yes. not a bug. <laughs> what would Anna yeah. do, by the way? What would you do? What would you do? Well, what I find is always difficult with these is that the temptation is to say, "I'll have it all," so that you can just give it all away. But then that's quite an arrogant, probably Western thing to think that I know better where to give money than yep. governments yeah. or Bill Gates or whatever. But um, I'd spend, be tempted to do I that. I would spend all the money traveling the world, lifting 
people I chose to be significant. <laughs> That's what I would do. Because <laughs> yeah. with 100 billion, you can lift anyone in the world. Yeah. What you mean? Just pick at your special. I'm going to turn you into the president of East Timor or something. No, no, no. I mean literally, like like Sri Chimney. I just travel around the world. Just I, lifting, you just lift, sorry, you're you're picking lifting people up. Yeah. 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 Tribute act. Right. Yeah. Sri Chimney tribute. <laughs> <laughs> do 8001. Yeah. 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 Um, so lots of studies about the psychology of wealth and. Um, so one of them, which I, I quite liked, is uh, would you go public if you won the lottery? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I think I know what you're going to say, Malcolm. Disaster. Yeah, disaster. disaster. Absolutely. Well, public opinion is definitely in charge with that. Only 2% of people say they would make public you yeah. know, the fact they'd won. But, you, but invariably, here's the problem. You can't not go public because every mm. one of your choices is conspicuous at 100 yes. billion. <laughs> <laughs> right? So something would be idling downstairs, right, with yeah. a driver. There's no, yeah, yeah, you're, you're not taking the tube with 100 billion down. You have not, you're, this is driving me nuts. You've not confronted the lunacy of your position yet. You're not even here. You know, I, wait, let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. Are you enjoying this right now? I love this. Yeah. You, you enjoy your job. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you enjoy, you oh, enjoy this afternoon, this taping session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, You've this bit's getting a bit intense. Yeah. <laughs> and have you, have you enjoyed, you enjoyed your cup of coffee? I did. Yeah. It was okay. really All of that's gone. Why? <laughs> You have a hundred billion dollars. You don't do this job anymore. What are you am kidding I doing? me? Dan, no. is, Dan is going to be in the. Dan is in the fifty-nine. Fifty-nine percent of people, right? Two percent said they go public. Fifty-nine percent of people said they re- they would remain anonymous and not even tell their friends. And Dan oh, thinks yeah, he's yeah. in this group of people. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm going to turn next time I turn up outside Dan's house. No, there's no, a no. gold-plated Maserati outside, which <laughs> Dan denies anything to do with him. I'm just good at saving. Neighbor, I would hire a replacement me to just take over this life, <laughs> be the Dan Shriver, and I would go be Mr. Billionaire. Oh, well, be... we should definitely do that. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was We've neglected the single biggest drawback to oh, having yeah. 100 billion, and that is you have to hang out with other billionaires. Oh my God! You, there's no way you have to. Oh. No, that's true. That's true. That is a nightmare. That yeah. is a nightmare. They're the only ones who understand you, I suppose. So yeah. There's one county, I believe it's in Wyoming or Montana, mm-hmm. which has more billionaires than any other. Oh wow! Where they all live. Okay. And wow. they all have their personal offices there, which are their charities. No one else can afford to live there. Right, because they priced out everyone who right. serves the billionaire. Yeah. So everyone who has to serve the billionaire has to drive like massive distances oh to one God. county. And they all have these charitable offices. But of course, who are you spending your charitable dollars on yeah. if there's only billionaires? Right. In the, in, yes. in the yeah. Center, right. Yeah. It's this sort of endless, and it's this absurd existence that they live in this one. And that's where you get it. That's where we'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is another survey, another YouGov survey, which tests a famous uh, rap lyric. Do you think it is or is not true that the more money you have, the more problems you have? 12% said it is true that more money, more problems. Right. 60%, not- 60% said it's false that more money, more problems. Well, it's U-shaped. It's not a linear relationship. It's, it's a U-shaped relationship. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. it's yeah, yeah, the Goldilocks yeah. thing. Studies tend to show, don't they, that after a certain amount of wealth, then your happiness starts to decline again. I think the global average is... It's about 70 grand, 70,000 US dollars for like emotional well being. And then it's 95. Is that, for, sorry, is that income or wealth or is this? It's a, income, sorry. Income, so per year sal- okay. salary, yes. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like life satisfaction or life evaluation, it's about 95. Um, so people. People feel prouder, I suppose, if they earn a little bit more, even though they'll be happy day to day with a bit less. So what do you want? Do you want to be proud of how much you earn or do you want to live a nice life? But either way, it's not very (laughs) bad. You know what Dan's going to answer every single time. Malcolm is just staring me down, (laughs) (laughs) waiting for my answer. (laughs) Poor misguided fool. (laughs) Um, There was a really fun study done by a guy called Paul Piff, 
who looks into the effects of wealth on people and looks into how it actually kind of makes us meaner if we get richer. He sent researchers to hide in a bush in California um, <laughs> and look at cars that went by and then judge how expensive they, they are. Uh-huh. And then there's a researcher further up the road, I think, who is just crossing a zebra crossing back and forth. And in California, you legally have to stop for people to cross a zebra crossing like here. And he clocks the types of car and then whether they stopped for the pedestrians. Mm. And in the cheapest category of car, every single car stopped to let the pedestrians across, as you're supposed to. In the most expensive category of car, how many would you think would stop and how many would drive past? How many would stop out of the most expensive category? Yeah. 60%. 60%. You're you're close. It was 50-50. 50% of the most expensive cars just drive, just break the law and drive straight over the zebra crossing and don't let the person cross the road. That's you, Dan. We now know who's in that car, yeah. I don't drive, so... (laughs) In your fancy car. You'll have a word with your chauffeur about that. (laughs) Mow him down. (laughs) Um, Can I give you one more survey about how people react to wealth? Yeah. I really like this one because it's a great question to ask. If you were accidentally paid 300 times more than your monthly salary, mm-hmm. what would you be most likely to do? Say something and return the money. Say nothing but return the money if asked. <laughs> Try and immediately spend or move the money. <laughs> but stay in your job. Yeah. Or take the money and leave your job. So, I mean, open, open season. Hmm. Well, they're going to find out. They're going to find out, <laughs> yeah. and then they're going to ask you to repay the money in three years' time when you've spent all the money, and that's <laughs> yeah. the worst of all worlds. I'll give you the stats. It's amazing. 62% of people said they'd say something and return the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20% of people said they'd say nothing but return the money if asked. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the real optimists. 3% of people would take the money and leave the job. They said they would try and do that. 2% of people said they would take the money, try and immediately spend or move it, and also keep their job, which I just find so <laughs> optimistic that that's ever going to... 2% of people think they would get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice, rosy thinking. Yeah. Yeah. The worst uh, spy in, a, in American history was um, Aldrich Ames, CIA agent, who, who intelligence officer who gave away the store to the... So oh, really? everything. So, oh, when you say worst spy, you mean most effective? He did the most damage right. to American oh. interests. Who was paid all this money? He worked for the Soviets for like ten years. He's paid all of this money, um, and he starts to live it up. And he's on a. All of his colleagues know how much <laughs> yeah. he makes, and he starts showing up. He buys a Jaguar, and his oh, wife no. has a mink coat, and he <laughs> has his fancy house, and he goes and he's big, and no one. No one said it. No one. It never. It didn't what? like click. But so they're spies. He, he's option four. In other words, right. is keep <laughs> spend keep the, the money, keep the job, the job. <laughs> and like somehow he thinks that. And he was right. No one noticed. He gets caught in the end for some other complicated reason. But the idea wow. that he's like throwing around twenties. Wow, you know, like, that's so funny. And no one, Incredible. And no one notices for years. It gets ever more extravagant. He's the only one in the parking lot of the CIA. No one has a Jaguar. So They're funny. government employees. The CIA, the CIA, that's the funniest thing. It's like he started to wear these fancy European suits and like <laughs> the most hilarious stories. C- Cyrillic <laughs> license plate on his car. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Trips into Russian accidentally all the time. God. His colleagues just going, I must get better at saving. I don't understand. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. Malcolm, are you on social media? I am. I'm uh, 
What am I? I think I'm at Gladwell, probably. At, at Gladwell, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ada, we've already established that you don't even know what it is. Uh, um, no, but I'm familiar with email. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing is a fish.com. Check out all of our previous episodes. They are up there to be listened to. We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.